afternoon. Good to be able to come and worship together. Good to be able to come and pray for each other, minister to one another, even protect each other. Amen? In the Lord. Well, hey, what I declared last Sunday was confirmed this week. Winter does not last. Does it? But winter also lets go slowly. Right? Did you love the snow we had this last week? It was great to be able to take a broom and, and broom it off, but it was just crazy. It, it seems like we're going to have a little spring, and then we're going to have a little winter. Then we're going to have a little spring and a little winter. But I'm here to say that cold, dead, dormant, colorless, fruitless season is only for a limited time, and it's on its way out. Amen? It's gone. And you know what's also great about it? Is that that winter of the soul, and we talked about some of us might be going through that, a time like that in our lives where we're waiting. God doesn't seem to be speaking. We don't seem to have fruit in our lives. We don't, be, we don't seem to be, be very productive or very successful in our walk with, with Christ. And, and there doesn't seem to be anything happening. I'm here to tell you that winter of dormancy and deadness does not last either. And it might go slowly and want to grab back on and you go back and forth with it, but it will be gone. Thank the Lord Winter passes. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. And the winter of the soul passes. So this morning, if your walk with the Lord is stale, if your service of the Lord seems to be missing the mark, uh, if you don't seem to be producing fruit, or you're questioning your faith, or you're questioning your own personal value, um, if you just seem to be waiting, um, I bring you good news. Good news through the parable of Jesus. The parable of the, of the vine, the branches, and the fruit. His, this parable is so exciting. I began to share it last week, and we're, we're going to continue it on this morning. But it talks about the ongoing work of, of God in us, and in our church, and in our hearts. And I'm here to tell you that the overwhelming thrust of the gospel, but also of this parable, and of our discipleship, and of our ministry is this. It's focused on abundant life, not a drudgery of life. It's focused on increasing fruit and abundant fruit, not being fruitless. And it's focused on generous, I cannot say that. Isn't it so funny? There's just certain words you can't say. Somebody say it for me. Generous. It's just a simple word. I don't know why I can't say it sometimes. Generous. Sacrificial love. That's what it focuses on. It focuses on good things. Great things. So this winter season, remember, it's only one of four. It will not last. And in the bleakness, in the coldness, if you're experiencing that, God is still there. He's still working. He's preparing for a season of revival. A season of freedom. A season of fruitfulness that will follow. So if you've got a Bible... I want you to open again to John chapter 15, and we're going to read this passage again. I want you to hear the word of the Lord with new ears. <coughs> hear it this morning, and let it speak to you. And Holy Spirit, I do pray that you would speak to our hearts in new ways. I am the vine, Jesus said, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch <coughs> in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. 
And now he's going to get a little more specific and tell us who the branches are. No branch can bear fruit by itself. We're branches. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, now remain in my love. If, I, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you so that you might bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Powerful passage. So many things in that passage that you can go deeply into and talk about, and I'm going to try not to because of our time restraint. But we want to stay focused, and we want to come back to this whole idea of, of how can I remain faithful or actually fruitful in my relationship with Jesus year after year after year? How can I ensure that the connection is going to stay strong, that I'm going to persevere in faith, that I'm going to bear fruit even in my old age until I'm done? How can we be sure? Well, we, the first point that we talked about last week was this. We have a couple of points for review, and the first one was wholeheartedly accept Jesus' identity. Wholeheartedly accept the Father's identity, and wholeheartedly accept your identity. And we had to ask ourselves, do I accept this identity, that Jesus is the true vine, the source of all things? I try to be the true vine sometimes. You know you do too. It doesn't work that way. Do we accept his true identity as the true vine, the true source of all things? Do we accept the Father's identity as the vine dresser or the gardener? He's the one who tenderly cares for us. He's the one who cleans us out. He's the one who guides and directs our growth. The Father does that. Do you accept that? Or do you choose your own direction? Do you choose what comes and goes from your life? Or is it your heavenly father? Do we accept our identity as a branch? We're a branch. That's our calling. That's our role, to be a branch. Kind of a go-between, between the vine and the fruit. Kind of a conduit between the two. That's our identity, that's our role. We're to develop such intimacy and connection with Jesus 
that his life flows through us so that his fruit is bore in our lives. And we do as he's directing us through his Father to do. How are we doing on connecting with him? How are we doing in growing this intimacy with him? How are we doing in being un, in an unalterable obedience to him and his leading? You can't just kind of go half his way and then half not his way. See, that's trouble. That's trouble. How are we doing with that? And do we accept that identity? If you want to be fruitful, you've got to accept your identity. You've got to live in your identity. I have to, too. But here's the second thing. We've got to receive the Father's pruning. Because the Father is pruning. Pruning shocks the plant. It seems a little bit violent, even. But in the hands of a skillful vine dresser, the vine remains healthy and produces maximum fruit year after year if we let it be pruned. I told you, I got my little mandarin tree. I went over to visit it because I needed to prune it because it has just got gazillions of buds on it. Well, when I went over there, the buds had fallen off. It was time to prune, and I got all this little fruit. I mean, it's everywhere. But there's no way those little branches are going to be able to hold on to that fruit. There's way too much. And so it tells you to prune off at least 20 to 30%. And I'm sitting here picking off, and I'm going, oh, I hope I'm doing it right. I'm loving it. I'm mourning over the fact I'm getting rid of fruit. But I want the fruit to be big and to be healthy. It shocks the plant, but the Father takes that job seriously, and he cares all, all the way. He cares for the pruning process. So the Father prunes us, though, for a reason, right? To free us of what might hinder us. To free us of what might pull us down or break us or hold us back. That's what he prunes us from. He prunes us to increase our strength that would otherwise be siphoned off and wasted by either dead wood or too much fruit that we couldn't handle. So he... he, he, he he cares about our strength. He prunes us to produce spiritual fruit. Fruit that's strong and can withstand storms and can withstand the trials of life. Fruit that if, if, if he didn't prune us, we would not have the strength to be able to bear up under service and ministry. Because it would be too difficult and too tough. He prunes us so that our lives will be even more beautiful and healthy and vibrant and more abundant in our fruit year after year. So this purpose is good. Are we obedient to the vine dresser? Are we obedient to God to allow him to prune from our lives? You know, I talked about the fact that if we want something new to happen in our lives, that means we've got to get rid of something. Most of the time, we can't just keep adding to our lives. It doesn't work that way. You can't just keep piling up. We constantly, according to Scripture, have things that hinder us in the sin that so easily entangles us. And so through confession and through pruning, we've got to get rid of that stuff that's dead wood that holds us back. We must. And if we want something new to happen in our lives, that means we probably have something old that needs to go. Something that it's time has run its course. And so we talked about some of that. And I want you to think about that again. God is pruning us. Asking us to do things sometimes in new ways. Read our Bibles in different ways. Pray in new ways. 
serve in new ways, have a different routine, have a different way of living, those kinds of things. What is God asking you to do? And are you receiving his pruning? Are you partnering with him to obediently rid yourself and cut away all that hinders, and all that holds you down, all that holds you back from the fruit-bearing will of God? So those are important things. Those are huge. So huge. But we're going to move on. See, I didn't do too bad on that review, huh? We didn't get too bogged down. I see Vince over there going, yeah, right. Because he knows I can get bogged down sometimes. We're going to move on in this passage. This is a heavy hitter point. You're going to have to hang with me with this, okay? Depending upon how God's wired you. Now that we've considered the identity of Jesus, the identity of the Father, the identity of us, and we've understood that there is an important role of pruning, and it plays an important role in my life, in my ministry, in my relationship. Now we want to move on to considering this whole idea of what does it mean to abide or remain in the vine? What does that mean? Because the scripture says it over and over again. Unless you abide in me, or unless my words abide in you, unless you remain in me, unless my words remain in you. Verses 4 through 5 say this again. Remain in me, and I will remain in you, Jesus said. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man or woman remains in me, and I in him or her, he or she will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We understand that logically. But do we understand how that really works? What then does abiding entail? How does it work? What does it look like? How do you actually do it? So Jesus has given us this physical picture to understand what he's talking about. What do you see? Now I want you to, please, yeah, there you go. You see the vine. Can everybody, you see the fruit, the first thing, right? Aren't those luscious great grapes, man? It just looks awesome. The vine is the thicker, it looks like a branch almost, right? But that's the vine on a great vine. It's the thicker part that travels horizontally, and then you have these branches coming up from the vine. And the clusters of grapes are coming off those branches. Okay, so you see that. Jesus gave us that picture. Everybody during his time would have readily been able to see that in their mind's eye, if not just around them. So, we can tell where one ends and the other begins, can't you, if you look at that photo. You can tell where the vine, where it ends and where it begins. And you can tell where the branch ends and where it begins. And you can tell where the fruit ends and where it begins. And we can tell that each has a different role, can't we? Because they do, and they have a different reality. However, the branch and the vine's relationship is such that they mutually indwell one another. And you need to get that point. They mutually indwell one another. We might say they are one. See, that's, that's what God has destined us for. That's what Jesus has destined us for. But we can also see that the vine Jesus, he's the vine, that vine can live without the branch, can't it? And that branch is you. They can live without you. He can live without you. 
This vine can live without its branches too, or one or more of them, can't it? And it can go on and create other branches. But a branch, which is you in this metaphor, you can never live without him, right? You separate from him and you no longer have life flowing into you. You no longer have ability to bear fruit. You're going to be withered and you're going to die and you're going to be dead wood that's going to be collected and burnt. Do you see? We cannot live without him, the vine, nor can we not, we cannot live without the gardener, the vine dresser. We cannot live without them. What we have without them is just a short period of life that will ultimately end and be fruitless. That's what we have without them. So therefore we see that Jesus' emphasis in the verses that we read, um, <coughs> those two verses we just read, it, he's telling us, and he's, he's emphasizing the fact that it's our responsibility, our priority, and our choice to remain or not remain in him. That's an important thing to get down. You choose whether you want to remain or not remain in him. We all, if we were going to be grafted into Christ as the true vine, at some point in time, we all had to surrender our wills, confess our sins, and repent of our own life, receiving him as Lord and Savior. We all have to do that at one point in time for us to be grafted into the true vine. And unless we do that, the Bible says we will die in our sins because we're separated from the Lord. Have you ever made that decision and crossed over that line? Because look how close and intimate that relationship is. We're one. Have you become that? Have you become that? Have I become that? It's our responsibility. Jesus will never go back on or break his promise or his commitment to remain in us. He will never do that. But we can block the internal flow of God's life. We can block his fellowship. We can block that from coursing back and forth within us. We can break that union with him. We can separate from the vine. That's something we can do. God does not do that. But if we do, it results in spiritual death. So to abide, it's not just about a belief. We've got to have belief. It's not just about this intellectual ascent, but it's belief that is embracing and clinging to and continually to receive spiritual sustenance from him. And it also involves our obedience in response to him in expressions of gratitude and trust and in love for him. That's what the result is. So I know I'm kind of getting exacting with this, but it's important to see this mutual indwelling was first exhibited in the father's relationship with the son. He's our example. The father and son are really the examples that, and the model that we're to follow of this constant living together, this constant sharing of a deeper relationship of love on the part of the son well, between father and son, and then on the part of the son, this gratitude and trust and obedience, this bearing of fruit that resulted because of that relationship. I want you to consider just three examples of this mutual indwelling in the Gospels. Jesus talked about it just in John, and here are three of them, John 14, 10. Jesus said, don't you believe 
that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. See his understanding? That's how it happened. I'm living, and he's trying to tell us that's how human beings are to live. You're to make decisions that way, in fellowship with your Father who's guiding and directing the show, not you. John 14, 20. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Why? Because my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And then you know the most famous one found in Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and be with him and he with me. See, Jesus wants to live within us. He wants to set up residency within us. He wants to know us because he's a spirit. He wants that fellowship with our spirit. That's what it's about. Well, this idea of being indwelt by Jesus and his spirit is also found in the rest of the New Testament, isn't it? Paul talks about it a lot. Here are three examples of that. Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He just told you how you live. That's how a believer lives. They live by trust in God the Son of God, who loves us and gave himself for us. And we let him live within us. That's how we are to live. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are controlled by the Spirit if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. That makes sense now, doesn't it? If you're a branch, you're going to have the life of the vine in you. That's the Spirit. And you're going to bear the fruit of the Spirit, which are the fruit of the Spirit, found in Galatians 5.2. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Those fruits are going to come into your life and through you. And then Colossians 2, 9 through 10, Paul also said, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. That's the right and privilege you've been given. Do we live in that all the time? No. Are we perfect in that fellowship and that relationship? No. But that's God's desire. That's God's intention. That's his his destiny for you and me. So what are we to make about this? What are we to do about it? Think about it. (coughs) We can't take for granted that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit lives within us and that we are in them. Do you ever take that for granted? That the Holy Spirit is living in you, and you in them? Sometimes we do. We need to repent of that. We need to become aware of the fact that we do take it for granted. It's our opportunity, your opportunity, my opportunity, to really get to know God intimately, to become his friend. You know, we talk about this personal relationship with Jesus, but what can we do to develop a personal, ongoing relationship with him that really is a constant fellowship day in and day out, to really know him, to abide in him, to actually have and experience the type of a relationship that a branch has with a vine. 
That's the type of relationship we're to have. Think about it. Is that your relationship? God is saying, come on, come. This is the relationship I'm offering to you. This is the relationship you can have. Will you come? It'd be a wonderful place of peace, wouldn't it? Because no branch bears fruit by its own will. It comes because of that relationship. See, it's not working harder. It's trusting more. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great place to be. A great place to be. So how can we grow in that relationship? Well, I want to give you a, ca- a caution here, though. When you consider what you can do to make your relationship closer and more intimate, we tend to want to make everything, including our relationships, a project, a principle, or a concept right? We tend to want to try to figure out what is the recipe, what are, what's the, what is the, the way, the secret to making this thing right. We're having a relationship, a relationship with a real being who wants to be within us and wants us to be within him. It's a relationship. It's not a project, it's not a concept, and it's not a principle. And if, you, if anybody ever reduces you to that, you know they're not going to get that close to you. If you reduce me to that, you're not going to get that close to me. Because that means you're trying to work me. And you're trying to use me to, to, for some reason. But you're not really relating to me as a real person. Instead, we want to try to understand God, not as we would a concept, we, don't, we want to understand him not by working harder or practicing any principles to achieve success or really bear more fruit. What we want to do is love him as he loves us. To do the things that lead to close and intimate relationship with anyone. Do you know what those things are that lead to close and intimate relationship with others? I hope you do. Um, some of these principles are things I hope that you're raised under. And you might have known them without knowing them, but Dr. Les and Leslie Parrott, they, they coined these at one point uh, years and years ago when I began to use some of their stuff in premarital counseling. And, it was, and they were talking about relationships and close ones, and it was so true that I was blown away by it, and I want to share some of it with you. There are things that lead to a close relationship, and here they are. Are you ready? The first one, it'll be up on the board, is warmth. You have to have a warmth if you're going to have an intimate, close relationship. Warmth is about acceptance. It's about being humble enough to know where you begin and where you end, and that you need another person in your life. It's, it's also to be humble enough to overlook a blemish for the sake of the beauty behind it. That's warmth. People don't have to be perfect to be in your life. You will accept them. See, God the Father and the Lord Jesus have shown this grace, this consideration, this warmth to us. I could go on and on about that in Scripture, and you know it if you've been around the Bible at all. But do we return it back to Him? That kind of warmth. That kind of acceptance. That kind of, do we show that kind of humility back to Him? especially when we don't understand what he is doing. And don't you think having a relationship with God, you'd run into that sometimes? Or you don't understand what he's doing? Oh, absolutely. 
because he's God and you're not. But you trust and you show warmth. How much warmth does the Lord feel when I sit down to come to him in prayer? How much warmth does God feel when I sit down to read his word? How much warmth does God feel when I go about to serve him? See, all of a sudden, I started feeling like I'm a pretty cold, you know what, sometime. What about you? That hampers our relationship. He's not just a being or a concept or a principle or a project. He's a person, and warmth is important. The second thing is genuineness. Ah, I was able to say it. That's another word, along with generosity. Genuineness. Genuineness is this. It's about being honest, authentic, and sincere. Honest, authentic, and sincere. Genuineness is expressed in our tone, mostly. In our nonverbal behavior, mostly. In our eyes, in our posture, mostly. Whether you're genuine or not. Whether your faith is genuine or not. Your worship is genuine or not. It's found in those things. It's found in whether you'll confess and speak about yourself the way it truly is and come clean with God. Jesus has been genuine in His tone and in His behavior and posture towards you. He just didn't love you just in word, but He loved you and me with deed. And He put His love into action. And He laid His life down for us. His posture showed he was real. So now we have to ask, am I being genuine in my relationship with him? I say he's the greatest thing in the world, but I don't act like it. Do I? How well would that go over with your spouse? Jody, how well would that go over with you or me if I said, man, I love you, the most important person in my life, but I never kissed you. I never hugged you. I stayed at a distance from you. I, it was only words, but it was never shown in action. Would you believe me? Well, see, you know the answer. You might still believe me, huh? Because she's really believing. She is. She believes a lot, and that's why she's good to have, she's good to be my wife. Right? But you see what I'm saying? Are we genuine? And I have to sometimes say, Lord, I'm sorry. I haven't been very genuine, but I want to be more genuine. Show me, teach me. And the Lord said, okay, that's good, I will. But then there's a third thing, empathy. Empathy, any close relationship or friendship has to have empathy. It's about seeing a situation and a person or the world from another person's perspective. And in, in, in our relationship with God, it's really seeing it from his perspective, the vine dresser's perspective. To begin to look at a situation or person from God's perspective means that we have to ask, really, three questions of God. We don't ask, what would Jesus do? We go to Jesus and say, what, do you, what would you do? Because it's not up to you to determine what Jesus is going to do. It's up to you and me as a branch to listen and let him tell us what he's going to do. Right? Amen? Yeah, that's why I didn't like that what would Jesus do thing. Okay. Well, you can tell that, can't you? Here are the three questions. You come to him first and say, Jesus, what does this situation, this problem, or this person, 
look or feel like from your perspective? From your perspective. You know what? God straightens me up real quick a lot of times when I want to want to be just or want to come in swinging and say, Mm-mm. you know what? <laughs> this person's a treasure to me. They're a work of art. You better treat that treasure, that work of art, with kid gloves. You break it or you break the piece off it, there's going to be you know what to pay. Right? That's what the Lord tells me. Number two, God, how is your perception different from mine? I think we're pretty close, God. I think I've got the, you know, 411 on this whole thing. I see things pretty clear. So God just confirmed for me that your perception is the same as mine. And the Lord goes, eh, not even close. Here's my perception of the situation. And this is how my perspective is different from yours. And then three, God, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? What would you have me do? That's empathy, see? And then you obey and act accordingly. See, if we could have relationships like this, where we had warmth and genuineness and empathy, you can get close to people. And you can have good, close relationships. But that sometimes takes healing. Because we need to be healed of our past wounds. And the way we've used and abused other people and manipulated relationships for our own gain. Because we all have to do that. We've all searched for people to complete us. That's what we've done before we've come to Jesus. And if a person doesn't do what I want them to do and they don't make me feel better and they don't help me complete myself, well then, I pun them. Oh, I felt that. We do that, though. We pun people. Or we just say, oh, they weren't a good friend. Well, we're not supposed to be completed in anybody but Jesus. That's where we're having a close and intimate relationship with the vine, Jesus, and the gardener, That leads us to completion. It'll change us. It'll heal us. It'll complete us. Because we're going to mutually indwell each other, and that vine's life and and the gardener's work, it's going to make us more and more complete and more and more like Jesus. So if there's anything I can say to people, if you want a good relationship, then lean in to the relationship you have with the Holy Spirit. Come clean with Him. Practice warmth, genuineness, and empathy. Confess any sin you have. Repent of your arrogance. And let him fill you. Let him empower you. Let him change you. The more you lean into the Holy Spirit, the more you lean into His Word written in the Bible, the more it will change your mind. The more you'll find healing. The more you'll grow healthier. The more you'll grow to completion. And it is a process. And it does actually take a lifetime sometimes, most of the time, for some areas. So we have to be patient with each other. But we have to strive for that. That mutual indwelling. See, there's something more that we can have in Christ. There's a deeper, closer relationship. And when His Spirit fills you, it changes things. And I'm telling you, it does. I can remember times when the Lord has fellowshiped with me where blues never look so blue. And, and greens never look so green. 
And, I, and, and like Spurgeon, I believe it was, or Chambers said, my prayers were so intense that they broke the back of words. Words could not carry them. And that wasn't because I just freaking out or being an emotional zealot or whatever. It's because of the love and the power of the Spirit fellowshipping. We can experience that. We're not going to live for experiences, but we can know that close relationship. God wants us to be there. Remember, abundant fruit. That's what he's talking about. Amen. All right. We're going to stop with that this morning. Praise the Lord. I want you to stand with me. I got through, well, I reviewed two points, got through one. But I'm allowing the Lord to prune. Uh, yeah, I have a hard time watching things not come to completion. But I'm going to let it stay in that place this morning. Because I believe the Lord is speaking to all of us. Are you experiencing the joy of the Holy Spirit? Are you experiencing a relationship of warmth and genuineness and empathy with God, with the Spirit? If you need someone to pray for you as we close in prayer, if you want to see that new work and you just say, man, that's what I want, but I don't think I have it, you can, you're welcome to step forward and as, a, as a demonstration of faith, saying, I want this, and I'll pray for you. But I'm not going to belabor it, and I'm not going to give an emotional altar call. I'm just going to invite you. So if you'd like to come now, to come pray, and me to pray for you that you would experience more of the Spirit and that you would draw closer, and anything that's between you and Him, because here's the deal with the Holy Spirit. He's sensitive. You can offend Him. You can grieve Him. And so if you've gotten used to telling Him no, it says it in Scripture you don't want, you're not going to expect to be close to him, and he's not going to speak to you until you get that right. I'm here to tell you, it's the truth. Um, I've had to repent of things that happened years before because I didn't get it right. And it hampered my ability to be close with the Lord. So if you want to experience that spirit, his spirit, you want that life, you come forward, I'll pray for you. So come now, anybody who'd like to come, or I'm going to close this in prayer. Amen. 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 Why would we not want more of the Lord Jesus? Why would we not want more of the vine life? Why would we not want to remove anything from an intimate, close relationship? Let's come and receive it. Amen. And if you want to come and lay hands on anybody and pray with them, you're welcome to do that too. Come. Come. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we want to know you. We want to be fruitful vines. Uh, we want to get out of the season of the winter of our souls. And we want to repent. And we want to confess to you our need. We want to tell you we're sorry. We want to humble ourselves before you. God, we want to even ask you to forgive us, Lord Jesus, for the times when we haven't been warm and we've been cold. 
We haven't accepted you. We haven't been real with you. We haven't confessed. We haven't been honest. And we haven't cared much about your perspective on things. We've just wanted our own. We've just wanted what we wanted. And we wanted just to be done and move on. God, show us that that's no way to live and that the fruitful life is the way to live. The generous, the faithful life is the way to live. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus for those especially that have come forward this morning. Lord, as they've come to prostrate themselves before you, as they've come to show you their genuineness by their posture and their movement, God, meet them and give them the desire of their heart. Go, go beyond them. Pour out your spirit upon them in the name of Jesus. Show them again. Just speak your word to them, Lord, that they would hear you and the voice of another not follow. And Lord, no, it's not an audible voice, but help them to hear you in their, the thoughts of their mind, in the feelings of their body, in the visions that they see. Help them to know you. So, Father, begin. May today begin a new, a new step in their relationship with you. Today, may they grow closer and more intimate with you. And may you be glorified because of it, because you desire fruitfulness. And may more fruit come out of their lives because of it. Bless them, Lord. And then bless our church through them. That their excitement, that their new experience of you would continue to excite us. That we, too, might experience those same things on a daily and weekly basis with you. So, Lord, come. Come and fill these folks and take them deeper and grow them in their intimacy with you. We ask this in the name of Jesus, and we receive it. Amen.